good morning, Hope Church. It's great to be with you this Advent season. What picture sticks in your mind when you think of Jesus at Christmas? We're doing this series where the four Gospels were written to give us four pictures of expressions of both the identity and the mission of Jesus. And the pictures are complimentary, but also a little bit unique in how they express that and, and what they want us to capture about Jesus. For years following the resurrection, stories about Jesus were just expressed and passed on orally until finally the Holy Spirit moved some of them to write down in the Gospels what we have. And the Holy Spirit used different writers and their personalities and their languages and their intended audience to give us these expressions of who Jesus is. I believe the picture that Luke wants us to capture can be, cap can be expressed in, in a key verse in his gospel, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus is speaking about himself after going to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he went there, and Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. But then he says these words, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Can you repeat that after me? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That was pretty terrible, so we're going to do it again. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's where we're headed this morning. First of all, for the Son of Man came. As Luke paints his picture of Jesus, there are two very important truths that he wants us to know about him. And the first is this. The first truth is that Jesus is fully human. That he is fully human. You know, Luke is a doctor who has spent his, his life dealing with humans and bodies. He was also a Greek, a companion of Paul, who wrote to Theophilus, who was also a Greek, to help him to understand Jesus more fully. And interestingly, the, the ideal for the Greeks was the perfection of humanity. And Luke wants us to capture this perfect man who came to perfect man, mankind. Five strokes of the brush that, 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 that Luke kind of portrays Jesus as fully human. First of all, we see that in the birth of Jesus. Do you know Luke is the only gospel writer to include the details around the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7? I mean, it's surrounded by taxes and, and Roman oppression and a consensus and not enough hotels. And so Joseph takes his very pregnant wife into a stable where she gives birth to Jesus, a baby. I mean, can you think of a more vulnerable and powerless little thing than a human being? Not only do we see the humanness of Jesus in, in his birth, but also in, in the boyhood of Jesus. Again, Luke is the only one to give us this account of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy when his family goes into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But they traveled in groups, and so as they left, they didn't realize that Jesus wasn't with them until sometime during the journey back. So Mary and Joseph go back to look for Jesus, and they find him in the temple courts speaking 
with the religious leaders. You know, we know nothing about the life of Jesus when he was young except these few words. Luke writes, afterwards, after they found him, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and with men. If you would see a group of 12-year-old Jewish boys, you would not be able to pick Jesus out. He was just like any other 12-year-old Jewish boy. Except for the fact that he didn't talk back. He didn't pick on his siblings. And he did his chores without complaining. Luke says he was obedient to them. Third stroke of the brush is we see the age of Jesus. You know, Luke is the only one to include the age of Jesus. And before he began his public ministry, Luke says he was around 30 years old. I mean, I mean, think of it. For 30 years, Jesus walked this earth like any other human being. He ate, he drank. I mean, no respect, but he took care of business, right? He worked, he paid his taxes, he interacted with his neighbors, just like everyone else. If you would put him in a lineup, Jewish men, you would not be able to pick him out. As a matter of fact, when he started doing the miracles, people said, isn't, isn't that the son of Joseph? Like, what in the world? Like, I knew that guy. I bought a woodworking from that guy. Like, he's just a guy. Now he's doing these things? He's just an ordinary man. No one suspected a thing because he was fully human. Luke finally gets to the genealogy of Jesus. But unlike Matthew, who focuses on Jesus being the heir of David, right? The king. Luke goes all the way back to Adam. And you know what Adam means? Man. The son of man. And why is this so important? He had to be the son of Adam to redeem and rescue the sons and daughters of Adam. The Apostle Paul made the comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus, in, in Romans chapter 5. He says, For if the many die by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that come came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And the last stroke that Luke uses is the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist is preaching down at the river repentance and inviting people to get baptized and it was a symbol that, the, that they had acknowledged that they had sinned against God they had rebelled against God they were living not according to God's desires they wanted things to be different they were seeking his forgiveness they wanted things to be different in their life they wanted to, to, to seek after God but Jesus goes down to get baptized but he did not need to repent 
for his sins. For he, he had always lived righteously before his father. He had always sought God every moment of his earthly life. Jesus was baptized as a bold declaration of his willingness to associate and identify with us. Jesus is saying, I am one of you. I have entered your plight so much so that one day I will even enter your death for you. Jesus is fully human. But the second truth that Luke wants us to capture in the idea of the Son of Man is that Jesus is also fully the holy, sinless God. I kind of love it in the superhero movies when, when you finally, when you get that little tingly sense, right, that, that this person is more than just a human, right? I mean, some of the, the superheroes were obvious, right? They're, they're obvious that they are superheroes, but some of them aren't so until you start getting those, that inclination. And so in the, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, a bad guy named Ronan with the possession of the Power Stone is going to destroy the planet Xandar. Only the most powerful beings would be able to be wheeled to use this power stone. And he was about ready to destroy the whole planet. But Peter Quill, who was a human, he was a young boy taken from Earth, along with a few other guardians, grabbed that stone and are able to stop him. But you see, Peter should have died. He should have died. He was just a human, right? Oh, you get the inkling at the end of the movie. There is more to this guy than meets the eye. And that's what Luke uses these stories to show us. There is more to Jesus than meets the eye. First of all, we have the declaration of Gabriel. You know, Luke is the only one to include this story where Gabriel, the angel, comes down to Mary and speaks to her about her, her, her oncoming birth of Jesus then you know she obviously is a little confused and explains to him, I, I'm not married. I've never been with a man. How can this be? Listen to these words of Gabriel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This Holy One. To be born. This is the miracle and the mystery of the virgin birth. Paul years later would write these words, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Guess that? Fully human. Fully God. Now that we have the declaration of, of, of the demons, and particularly the demon in Luke chapter 4, where this man was in the synagogue and he was possessed by a demon. And he cries out at the top of his voice when Jesus is there and he's teaching. He says, ha, what do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, there's more. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus of Nazareth, yes. Human, yes but so much more. And then Jesus, with all his power and authority, 
as the Holy One of God casts him out. Third, we've got the, the declaration of Satan. Before Jesus could rescue us, he had to prove himself. You see, Adam and Eve failed when they were tempted by Satan and they rebelled against God. If Jesus was going to rescue us, he could not fail the test like they did. And so before he began his public ministry, God, through his spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by Satan. Twice during this temptation, Satan said to him, if you are the Son of God. And what happened? Jesus passed the test. Just like he had done every other moment in his life that he had been tempted to sin, he passed the test. That is why the writer to the Hebrews writes this, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And why is this so important? He goes on to say in Hebrews 19, 9, 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, the spotless, pure, holy lamb of God, how much more can he cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God? The Holy One of God. And that's what we get it by really the declaration of Jesus. You know, Jesus used this title for himself, Son of Man, more than any others. And not only does this point back to Adam, but this points back to a prophecy from the book of Daniel. Daniel receives a vision in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, where Daniel says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, the Jews were looking forward to this one, son of man. And Jesus uses that title for himself. You know, as a family, we enjoyed all the, uh, the books by C.S. Lewis in the series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that first book, Aslan is the lion, and he represents Jesus. And Aslan chooses to sacrifice himself on behalf of Edmund, one of the humans, because Edmund had made a very poor choice. He had given in to temptation, and there was a curse of death upon him. Aslan chooses to take that upon himself. But it's a beautiful picture of, of what Jesus did in his sacrifice except it's lacking in two ways. The first one is that Aslan never becomes a human. Jesus chose to become a human, not only for the time he was here on earth, but forevermore a human for all eternity so that he could spend all eternity with you, a human. 
not only that, but he died for all men, not just one who had, who had given in the temptation. The Son of Man came. Let's jump to the last phrase. What was lost? What was lost? You know, a number of years ago, I was given a few weeks of sabbatical, and uh, I took a couple of those days to go to Hidden Acres, which is our denomination's camp. It's in central Iowa, and some of you have been there, and you've taken your kids there. It's a wonderful place. But I went there during the middle of the year, so there were no campers there. There were staff there, but there were no campers there, so it was pretty empty. And the, and the staff were there, and I was there in the main lodge with them, but eventually they finished their job, and they, they went home. Right? So I was the only one there at the main lodge, and it got dark, and it was, it was nighttime. So I thought, well, it's time to go back to my cabin. So I stepped outside, and I realized, ooh, wow, it's pretty dark out here. I think they forgot I was here. I think they turned, turned off every light in the whole camp. And not only that, it was a bit of an overcast night, you know, those cloudy nights where you couldn't see the moon. There was no moonlight. There were no stars. There was not one twinkling little star, which usually you could see all over. I mean, it was pitch black. I mean, I literally could not see my hand waving in front of my face. And somewhere you say, well, why didn't you use your phone? Well, that would have been great if I had it, right? I was on sabbatical right? So it's a time to forget about the world and just focus on God. So my phone was back in the cabin that I needed to get to in the pitch black. And you know what? I had seen some of those horror movies when I was young. Friday the 13th, which happened at a camp, right? I'm using that a security bug, but oh my word, I started getting scared. I'm like, I know the general direction of, of the cabin, but see anything so I'm like I just started like scuffling along like so I knew there was gravel between me and the cabin right so if I just stayed on the gravel you know once I got on the grass oh my I was I was out of luck I mean lost forever not forever but I'm scuffling along you know until finally I see a, a, a brief outline you know an outline of a cabin and I finally make it to the door and get inside I barricade the door. I climb under the covers. I am so scared. I am so scared. It was, I've never been in such darkness. You know, when the Bible talks about our condition apart from Christ, it uses these phrases, darkness, blind. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they became lost from God. They entered a world now where that was under the control of Satan. And his dominion is called darkness. Spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness, spiritual lostness. That is what we are in. And, and, and Satan is called the father of lies. And he loves that we live in this condition, in deceit. He's also called one who masquerades and, as an angel of light. If you and I would see Satan for how he is, Friday the 13th would have nothing on you. You would run to Christ so fast. But he, he masquerades, he deceives, 
heaven or hell is considered what? A party. Hell's going to be a party, people talk about. There is going to be no party. This is a weeping and gnashing of teeth in utter darkness. Why do I say this? Because unless you understand that apart from Christ, you are spiritually blind, that you are in darkness, whether you know it or not, that you are lost, that you can never truly celebrate Christmas. Because that's why Jesus came. He entered into the darkness to save those who are lost, those who are blind. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, we are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance in us due to the hardening of our hearts. Every one of us, because of sin, darkened in our understanding unless something or someone rescues you. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. And, you know, we get this picture of this lostness, this brokenness in the stories that Luke chooses to include. He, he speaks about Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? They are the parents of John the Baptist. We don't know much about them. Zechariah was a priest. But we do know this. They were old. And Elizabeth was barren. And we may just kind of read right over that. Like, okay, you know, no big deal. But for them, for those of you who have struggled childbirth, you know, having a child. I mean, you know the pain and the suffering of years and years of trying, but especially as a Jewish woman, because the promises of God, God called Israel to be a light into the darkness, right? And God promised that if they would just seek after him and follow him and obey his ways, that God would fight for their battles. He, he would fight for them. He would provide them a land filled with milk and honey. They'd have plenty to eat. He would make sure their sandals never wore out. They didn't have to go to the shoe store. But also he would open up their wombs that they would be fruitful and multiply. I had a picture of God's blessing. And for a Jew Jewish woman to not to be able to do that. It's just the pain, the lostness. And God enters that. He enters their darkness. Now that we have Simeon and Anna, eight days later after, after Joseph and Mary gave birth to Jesus, they went to the temple to, to, to purify him as was the custom. And they come to an old man named Simeon. And the only thing Simeon was looking forward to in his life was the freedom of Israel. You see, they were really you know, under bondage, oppression from the Romans. But this isn't what God, God planned it. He planned them to be a great and mighty nation as a light to all. But they had over and over rejected God, rebelled against him. He sent the prophets to speak to them over and over until finally God said, okay, enough is enough. He removed his presence from Israel and allowed other nations to come and to conquer them. And so Simeon is experiencing that lostness of the nation of Israel because sin always loses but God had promised him that before he died, he would see the one who would come, who would change all that. And so he sees 
this baby Jesus coming to the temple. Anna is very similar. She's a woman who had been married to her husband for seven years, and then he passed away, and she had been a widow ever since, alone, longing for, for God to come. And she sees Jesus. We see this lostness, this blindness in, in Jesus' first sermon at his home church. It says that he turned to Nazareth after he was baptized and tempted. He went to the synagogue and he was giving the pr privilege to preach. And he grabs the scroll from Isaiah 61. And he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sat down and said, this scripture is being fulfilled. Jesus did heal blind people, but more importantly, he heals spiritual blindness. He, he released those who were oppressed from demon possession and, and diseases and yet he comes to bring healing to those who are in darkness, to those who are spiritually blind, to those who are lost. So much is lost due to sin. And then we have the beautiful picture of what is lost found in chapter 15 of Luke. It's called the Lost Parables. They're very familiar parables, and we kind of love them because they're a beautiful picture. But you know what? Luke is the only one to include these. It's the story of a woman who loses a coin, right? And this coin represents a large part of what she had to live on. And she frantically looks throughout her house to find it. And when she does, she throws a party. It's about a shepherd who loses a sheep. A sheep wanders off and is lost. And the shepherd leaves the 99 that he has there with him to go find this one lost sheep. He finds it. He carries it and brings it back home. And he throws a party. And it's about a son who's lost the prodigal son. The son who had been given his portion of the inheritance and then left. His father, which is a picture of just leaving God, lived in rebellion and wildness and debauchery and just squandered everything he had. So much like we do in sin. The father does not go searching for him because, you know, when it comes to humans, unless the son was willing to be found, unless the son realized that he was lost, he would never be willing to be found. And yet the father longs for and waits and looks for his son to return. And when he does, you know, who gives us this beautiful picture, or Jesus does, as he tells this parable about the father running to the son. And even though he's probably covered with pig poop and just smells like crazy, the father hugs him, embraces him, kisses him, Ask for a robe to become and to cover him, a ring to be put on his finger. And then they throw a huge party. He says, My son who was lost 
is now found. Jesus said, this is what happens in heaven when one sinner repents. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. And so we get to the middle section of that, to seek and to save. I love Ezekiel 34. God says this in verse 15 and 16. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. So what God did in Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. Luke records Jesus telling the disciples at the end of his book, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. That includes you. Repentance, forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus came to seek and to save you and me. What is lost? And when we respond to this invitation, Luke says, in repentance, that means when we acknowledge that we are lost apart from him, that we have been living in darkness, and that we are blind. We confess our sins to God. He forgives us our sins. Like the Father, he comes to us and he wraps us with his grace, kisses us with his mercy. He grabs the robe of righteousness of Jesus himself and covers us with the righteousness of Christ. He puts the, the ring on his finger, symbolizing that this now is a child, a son, a daughter of mine. Gives us his spirit to live within us. And then throws a huge party for his child has been found. That is Luke's invitation and picture of Jesus that he wants you to capture this Advent. Have you allowed Jesus to come to seek and to save you?